I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is another episode of Convo by Design recorded in the Living Kitchen Studio. In 2019, I started the Design Influencer and Innovation Group. This is a series of trade-only events at Southern California showrooms around Los Angeles, Orange County, and San Diego. This particular gathering was held at the Ornari showroom on Beverly Boulevard in West Hollywood. We had an amazing group of, of architects and designers and journalists from the design and architecture space. And the topic was, what do they want from me? Meaning, what does the industry provide to designers and architects? And what do those architects and designers want from the trade, want from showrooms and trade shows and manufacturers in the way of training and networking and engagement opportunities? What do they want from me? What do they want from the trade? And we got, I, I, I got some of the best in the business to talk about exactly what it is that they want. This is a fascinating conversation and you get some absolute gems here. So um, hang on, buckle up. It's going to be fun. Convo by Design is presented by our sponsor, Snyder Diamond, known in Southern California for providing amazing service and world-class products like those from Sub-Zero, Wolf, and Cove. Here you have a company that is laser focused on helping homeowners be their very best in the kitchen with refrigeration that provides proper food preservation, ovens and ranges that provide precision food preparation, and Cove dishwashers that basically can handle any mess and clean it all up. Sub-Zero, Wolf, and Cove appliances are stunning to look at in too many sizes and styles to list here, but it's also what's on the inside. The tech inside these appliances has been tested, crafted, and worked to razor-sharp precision, allowing for exactly what your clients want, precise and predictable results in the kitchen. That's what you get with Sub-Zero, Wolf, and Cove. And you will find the full line of each at all three Southern California Snyder Diamond locations. You can also see the newly designed Living Kitchen Studio in the Snyder Diamond and Pasadena showroom. Back to this episode of the Design Influencer and Innovators Group. First up is Rosita Nazarian with the benefits and challenges of design showcase houses. We met a couple of years ago. You were doing the uh, Pasadena Showcase House for the Arts at the time. You did a remarkable au pair suite. It was beautiful. I'm curious, how do, how do showcase houses, how do they help you professionally? What do they do for you as a designer? Okay, so uh, the showcase, based on, I mean, since year, um, two years ago, I found out that... Here, hold on one second. Do me a favor. Back up just a, just a, back up. Oh. Just a little bit, a little bit more. A little bit more. Perfect. And then the microphone's right about here. And you're looking at me. Perfect. Go ahead. So the showcase, it doesn't really sh um, help you in getting clients, but mostly to know contractors or um, you know relationship with um, vendors and different people that really help you to uh, get to know your work more and uh, to find um, things that you're looking for and be exposed there um, as far as clientele a little bit but uh, mostly behind the scenes like knowing other designers other and architects and um, uh, vendors and having connections connections and this helped me a lot uh, because now I know people that are behind the scenes besides the people that working there on the showroom at the showroom so I, I know people behind so it's just it helped me a lot because uh, I uh, I make connections with them through them um, I found out that I um, I got to know more and it helped me a lot. What um, what trade shows do you use, both domestic and international? Where do you go? Oh, the BD here, uh, West Edge. Uh, I love love uh, Milan um, Salone del Mobile, uh, which really opened my eyes. It was uh, amazing, and uh, you get inspired from all these shows or Vegas, uh, all of them. Every one, every place that you go, every trade show that you go. You uh, meet different people, different materials and products, which uh, they're all good for your uh, uh, library. 
queer uh, product library. How do you do the majority of the research now? Do you do it in person or online? Oh, in person mostly and online too. Lately, mostly online, but in person, I go to, I visit a lot of uh, showrooms because uh, I really want to know what they have, what they have new, what's going on. And um, I like hands-on on everything I do. That was Rosita Nazarian, and this is designer, furniture maker, and showroom owner Gary Gibson. Gibson's unique in that he's a designer with his own showroom, so he has to be cognizant of what other designers really want as well as what he wants. Gary also talks about industry events and the challenges of expanding into new categories. We are, we are talking about, and I love this, you're, you're the perfect person to talk to me about this. What the industry does to help designers. And it's funny because we've spoken about this before. And you're the guy who says, you know what, you're, you're not going to help me. I'm just going to go do it myself. I'm going to start my own. I'm going to create my own showroom. Mm-hmm. I'm going to create my own method for doing this. And you've done so beautifully and, and successfully. And, and so you're, you're also the perfect person to ask, what does the industry, what does the industry do to help designers? And, and if it's not there, what should they be doing? I think that's a tough question in today's market because I think the whole industry is in a transition. My showroom is almost 20 years old, and I started that because I lo- my passion for collecting, but it was more about I saw the industry changing then where people go, oh, there's a retail showroom here, and there's a retail thing here that's just diminishing our business to the trade. And I go, well... But that's progress, so to speak. Industries evolve and they change. And here we are 20 years later, and everyone's talking about social media and retail and online. And and I think it's time to reinvent ourselves again. Now, I'm not sure what the next iteration is myself, because I'm trying to figure it out. Because I think brick and mortar, in general, is having a hard time. And I think trade shows are having a hard time. I think it's expensive for someone to come from New York to do a show, let's say a West Edge show, and do a booth, transport their product, set it up. What is the return, is the return great enough to do it? I think it goes back to what does each individual, their passion, their drive, their pocketbook have to make it work? Because, Because I think a lot of times people I see product or venues, and I'm like, well, I don't think there's much of a market for that. And you just probably spent twenty, thirty thousand dollars to be on the show, and and why? Do, you have to do the due diligence before you start something. I mean, I did for my, my for my my store, although it was pretty. I was advised not to do it. He, why would you open a store? My accountant said, and I said, well, I I, I want to do it, and I can afford to do it. And you and wanted to. Time. You wanted to. But it was a different time too. I don't think someone could open a store like that now, unless you were really well-funded. Well, isn't that the case with anything? Well, I think so. You I, have to be, so su- you have to be sufficiently funded. Because they're undercapitalized. Yeah. But that goes back to the, the, the whole thing about it's a creative world, and crea- like you say, creatives are a weird animal, I think, that they don't think on the business end. They have, I'm going to sell pretty silk flowers, and I'm going to rent 2,000 feet, of showroom and sell pretty silk flowers. I go, really? You, you have to stop and do the due diligence and, and, and mess with the numbers a bit and see if this is a viable thing to go to. Uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's called common sense. I don't know. And I think in design and business, 75% of everything we do is common sense. I just, I, I, I feel I am a, a weird character and I look at things in a, in a different way than other people. And part of me being different has been my success. I, I know a friend who's a PR person and, and her thing is be different, stand up and, and do something differently than everybody. Don't be a lemming and follow the crowd. That's just how I've always lived my life. So I always felt like I was an outsider anyway. So it's worked for me. You know, it's like the kid when he was in school, he was bullied. And now he's an Olympic athlete and everyone loves him, you know. But, you know, people have this path in life and you don't know what it's going to be necessarily. It's true. Thank you, Gary Gibson. 
next up is Leslie Shapiro Joyle um, with a, a view on the cropping up of designer workrooms, allowing for creators to settle in a space that allows them to craft their own product. She talks about her workroom, her showroom, and how she uses this experience to in turn provide that experience to other designers. She describes it as a, a circle in which the ecosystem thrives. And she's right. This is Leslie Shapiro-Joyle. And, and it's funny, too, because I love the topic. And, the, and yeah. the, the topic is, how does the industry help designers? Really interesting to me. Designers, like any creative, are so used to working hard and celebrating their clients that I think oftentimes you forget that you are a client. And you are a client to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And... Um, how do how do the how do the businesses that you're working with yeah help you? And you're an interesting one to ask too because you have a workroom, you have a showroom, you make furniture, you're you have a lot of feet in in different spaces. Mm-hmm. Are you a are you a good client? Are you a demanding client? Yes, I'm demanding, how? but I'm also really good because I'm fair. I'm not I'm not demanding. I'm not irrationally demanding. I demand a lot from my workrooms and from my people, um, but I'm incredibly fair and I'm articulate and I'm communicative and I let people know upfront what it is that I want, what I expect and why I want it. The bottom line, the reason that you want something good is because you want to pass something good on to the person that is ultimately getting it. And when you pass something good on to the person that's ultimately getting it, that is expansive, it grows, and I get more work, and then I bring more work to the workroom. So it's a circle. If we do good work, if I demand good work, we do good work, we deliver good work, then we continue to get work, and the ecosystem thrives. If we make excuses for our work, we don't get more work, and we don't purchase more work. So somewhere in there, sometimes people forget that um, the person that's bringing the work, the designers, doing the interface with the client, everything, we're there ultimately to get the subs work. So we're doing all of that um, sometimes very uncomfortable stuff with the client, trying to sell the product and do all of that, but that it's ultimately for the betterment of the industry. So how can, how can the industry help? Um, by respecting us, valuing us, and supporting us. There shouldn't be a disconnect. We should all be a community that understands um, that good work is timeless, that good work doesn't require excuses later on. If you do something really well one time, you don't need to make an excuse for it failing. You don't need to redo it, and the, the beautiful work will sell itself multiple times over because other people will see it, people will buy it again, people trust you. When people trust you, you will continue to work. Genius. Josh Boris with Core Development Group addresses the fundamental issue, how can the industry help busy design and architecture professionals? How can companies provide marketing and sales materials to help you along the way? Josh hits some really interesting points. Check this out. Do you get to have conversations like this very often with, 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 a, with designers, architects, others in the trade? Do you get to do that very often? It's rare. It's pretty rare. So when it's as open and honest, usually there's a client around or um, you have to screen or, you know, think carefully about what you're going to say. Yeah. Which, which makes me wonder, too, the topic for today is how can the industry help you? And, and the conversation has gone from, you know, designers and architects, you as well. You're so used to servicing the clients. Right. That, that's, it's often forgotten, how can the industry service you? Because we don't ask for enough. We don't ask for more. We just sort of, if it's not there, we just keep plugging forward. How can the industry help you do more quality business? I think it's about how information's presented. Not only how it's presented, but also the follow-through. 
and that the information is presented in a way where the end users kept in mind how the information is going to be used, what sort of follow through needs to happen and support on the back end. That would be really helpful. In, in realistic terms for you, what does that look like? Well, you buy a product and then you, know, you want to make sure that there's support on the back end. If there's questions, if there's issues, you want to make sure that literature that's associated with it is correct and easy to use. If there's questions down the road, um, that the salesperson's there to service, provide the service that you need. What is the service? What is the state of service like? It really depends. There's some really good service. There's good quality professionals out there, very knowledgeable. And there's others that are more salespeople that don't have the knowledge that they should in order to properly service their products. What, what trade shows do you take advantage of? It's hard, really, to get out. Um, you know, I like to go every other year and, uh, you know, go to some builder shows, uh, take advantage of shows that are local. But it's really hard to get out. Usually I'll get out and make an effort if there's a specific project that we're looking for something unique, a unique product, um, and, and seek them out. But it's really product-driven. It's project-driven rather than just generally going around and... Um, you know, making the rounds. If you were to give any advice to the industry, in general, as to how to best service, service the, those clients that are there, the, the developers, the designers, the mm -hmm. architects, what could, make, what could make your life easier? Aside, aside from the, you know, the information and, and putting it in a tangible form, is there anything else that you think would make your life easier? I think sourcing new products is really challenging. It would be great if there was a place to find up-and-coming products uh, so you could actually find them easier. Um, it's a good question. You know, I think it's like finding a needle in a haystack sometimes. It's really challenging when you find that new product. Like, for example, I found a light bulb that I really like. And I was really excited about it. And I, um, but it was, I just stumbled upon it. I wasn't really looking for the light bulb, but it just would fit a fixture perfectly, LED. It was the right size and shape, and it was unique. But I just stumbled upon it. So it'd be great if there was a place to find unique products that weren't so commonplace um, and special. Love it. That was Core Development Group's Josh Boris. This is longtime friend of the show, architect Takashi and I. Takashi opened his firm's San Francisco office. He talks a bit about opening new territories. This is critical for design and architecture firms looking to grow. When you go into a new market, mm -hmm. it's kind of exciting. Yeah. And it's a little scary. And there's, there's busy work that you have to do. You have to make all of these new connections that back at the home office you already have. Right. Do you have a process for that? Or do you like the stumbling around creating the whole new system? I do. So I, I, I mean, you know me. I like meeting people. So I like little events like this. Um, I wouldn't go out of my way to meet someone who I don't think I would enjoy meeting. There are enough people out there in the world where I just know there's a lot of, there are a lot of great people who really love what they do and a lot of people who are really inspirational. So, no, I, I enjoy that part. And so even if there are people who are whatever, significant people in a certain industry, let's say it's a builder and they do all the most expensive homes in whatever community, but they're difficult people <laughs> or they don't respect architects, I don't, I don't bother. And I, I, I'm probably leaving work on the table, but it's work that I prefer not to have, you know, so... That's my filter. I just learned in my career, the filter is I have to really believe in and I have to really enjoy what I'm doing and the people that I'm working with. So you know what's really interesting? <clears throat> Having been doing this for as long as I have, I've seen a lot of trends develop. And I, and I believe that trends are great. It's only mm -hmm. when you add a why that it becomes a dirty word, mm -hmm. seriously. But on the business side of it, I see all these trends developing. And, and if I had a theme for this particular design influencer group meeting, it would, it would be the pivot. It would uh -huh. be the redirect. Right. Um, it's really interesting to me that there's this concerted, concentrated effort to not just accept the way things are and have been for so long, but to, right. to go out of one's way yeah. to change the business to suit the individual. And it sounds like that's what you're doing as well. Where did that, how did that start? When did you come to the point where you realized that that's important to you? 
When you say suit the individual, you mean to suit me or to suit the client? To suit you. Yeah, well, um, that's interesting. I mean, they, they, the next generation, not my generation, but the generation that follows mine cares a lot about uh, live-work balance, right? Life-work balance. And um, I think in a lot of people's minds, that means work, and then you stop work, and then you live, right? But as a creative person, whether you're an artist or a decorator or an architect, I think we have the luxury of loving what we do. Hopefully, you should love what you do. And so working is living. It's one thing, right? So if that's the case, then I don't have anxiety over, you know, say working over, you know, past six because I love what I do. But the flip side is you have to love what you do. So if you don't love the way that you're working and you think you're going to get there someday, I think that's the wrong way to work. I think if you don't love what you're working on right now, there's something wrong with how you're working right now. And you should pivot or redirect or whatever you want to call it, but you want to craft a situation where, yeah, you're really enjoying and being fulfilled by what you're working on. And I don't see it as a pivot. If you, once you realize that, it's not a major pivot, let's put it that way. You should always be micro-adjusting, assessing what you're doing, and making these little adjustments just so you make sure you don't wind up in a place where you're not enjoying what you're doing. Otherwise, you should do something else. And I'm curious, with you, knowing you the way that I do, mm -hmm. um, knowing that you have passions outside of architecture, your Instagram, for example, your, your passion for photography, mm -hmm. with regard to design, and the work has, has this, call it a micro pivot. I'm fine with that. It's, it doesn't have to be a wholesale change, right? It can be, it can be in degrees. Mm -hmm. Has that affected the way that you view the work? Has that affected the, the style in which you work? Has that mm. affected the manner in which you put things together as an architect? The Instagram in particular or no. just interests? Your, your interests yeah. no, and, sure. and, so, your, and, your, and your micro pivots along the way. Yeah, well, for sure. So I get a lot of inspiration through travel, for instance. And I also get a lot of inspiration currently through um, landscape. So whether it's natural landscape or uh, landscape design, um, you know, it's actually sort of a regret that I didn't study landscape design at the same time I was studying architecture. But actually, I, you know, when I say that aloud, I don't regret it at the same time because I get to collaborate with a lot of really great landscape architects. So that's fun for me. So that's something that's definitely influenced the work more and more as I progress. It's less and less about just the house or just the architecture. It's how it relates to these other things. So whether it's the natural landscape or view or how it is working in collaboration with the landscape design. So that's, that would be an example of something recent where like my interests have definitely had an influence on the work. Yeah. Does it help you look and project into the future seeing where you are now? Does that, does that help you decide or figure where you're going to be in 5, 10, 15 years from now? No. Uh, yes and no. Like every once in a while, I tell my colleagues and my friends, like they should think about where they want to be in five years because it might help them kind of assess where they are now and see if there are things that they should correct. But at the same time, I know that my interests might change. So I don't, I don't stress about it too much. Like there, you know, things I'm really interested in at the moment. Um, and so I might plan, like I might create not a bucket list, but a list of things I want to do because of those interests, but um, they're not set in stone. That might, that is constantly evolving and, you know, the list a year from now might be totally different than it is now. Where have you not gone that you'd like to go in the next five years? Where have I not gone? Wow, there are a lot of places, I mean... Where have you not gone that you'd like to go within the next five years that you think? Well, there are a lot of those places too. But Marfa, Texas, I mean, that's a very specific place. So that's where Donald Judd, um, uh, you know, practiced and kind of created all these environments that are art, architecture, and landscape combined. So he's one of my heroes. Um, so that would definitely be a place. Josh, I'm pretty good actually at going to the places where I would like to go to. So there aren't that many on my list because 
once it enters my mind, then I try to figure out a way to get there and go. <laughs> so every couple of years, yeah. um, my wife is from Houston. And she's, a, she's from Houston. Uh-huh. And so every couple of years, we go visit the family in Houston. Yeah. I don't like to fly. I'm not afraid of it. Right. I do fly when I have to, yeah. but I don't enjoy it. Yeah. Love road trips always have. So every other year, I take the kids. I take one kid one way, the other kid the other way. Uh-uh. So they fly one way and drive with me. Yeah. Two years ago, Marfa's always been on my list. Uh-huh. Two years ago, um, we're going to do it again. I'm going to take my son this time. Is We went to Marfa. Wound up in Marfa on Christmas Day. Uh. 25, 30 degrees. Christmas Day. Sunny. Gorgeous. Empty. Uh-huh. There's all the exteriors from Giant. There is Donald Judd's offices and his son's offices and all of the buildings. We, got, we basically walked around for a couple hours. Yeah. Just walked around downtown because we stayed in Alpine and then we went to... It was, am, it was amazing. We did the, the Marfa... We did the Prada store, mm-hmm. storefront. Yeah. Went to see it. Very interesting. Right. Um, but the city itself, and I can understand... I can totally see why someone like you, who if you haven't been there, why you would want to go. And I think you're going to absolutely love it when you do. Right. Can't wait. It's amazing. So <laughs> I, I love that because that's actually one of my favorite places. Yeah. So Awesome. That was Takashi and I. This is another longtime friend of the show. This is Julia Wong. Julia talks about design shows. And I love this topic. Listen to this. It's interesting too. And I love this because I was excited to talk to you. We talk about trade shows all the time. And I know that you are very picky. You are very particular. You know what you want. You know what you like. So which are your favorites? Favorite trade shows? Domestic and international. Domestic West Edge. Okay. I'm going to tell you a few reasons why. And also... um, Maison Objet and Salone. I actually do all three every year. And uh, West Edge is interesting because this house evolved and the size of the show. I actually, I meet lots of the industry people that I don't get to catch up with, as well as doing some sourcing. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, Maison Objet, they're all very different. Maison Objet, um, majority of the sourcing I do is fabrics and some home accessories. And also a great deal of designers and architects go there for the um, special events that are held privately. And what is, what is the difference? So I guess what I'm hearing is, is that each trade show that you, that you go to, you have a different purpose for each one. We don't have that much time anymore because of the time, design time and also we have to travel for projects now. Uh, so I really select which trade shows I go to, and each one has to be um, different, what I get out of it. What, what does the industry need to know? Showrooms, manufacturers, media, trade shows. What, is, what does the industry need to know about giving back to designers, providing service, pro- providing support, for designers and architects, for the creatives who are specifying their products and using their services, what do they need to do to make your life easier? Now, this is a fantastic question. And actually, Josh, you're doing a great job because, you know, it's these conversations that we have that is really important. Otherwise, people don't really know what, what we need, what designers need. What I found recently is that because we have less time, it's really helpful that the showroom send salespeople to our studios. That way we get to see new collections if we don't make it to the showroom. And also, like today, what you've done today, a think tank is much more informative. We love the cocktail parties, don't get me wrong, but these kind of uh, more in-depth conversations and a topic that we talk about, I think is great. Does it surprise you that more of that isn't done? I'm so surprised. Today's conversation. Yeah. Um, All of us, actually, um, from architects to showroom managers, we all agreed, actually, when you were gone interviewing, we were all off topic talking about that. And uh, we said that we should do more of these, you know, think tank, uh, um, so that we can talk about real subjects. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I, and I love that too. And speaking of which, one of the things that you do exceptionally well is you manage the business. You don't let the, let the business manage you. You really do manage the business. You manage your clients, you manage your vendors, you manage things exceptionally well. Did that come naturally for you or do, is it something that you constantly have to work on? And if it is, how do you address that? Um, I'm from a fashion background, so um, it's much fast, fast, faster pace. And um, so I think coming from that background, it really helps to multitask more. And uh, it didn't always come naturally, but I feel that if our messages are clear to our clients and vendors, people know what to expect. It makes the whole process much more smooth. Agreed. Thank you, Julia. This is Aaron B. Duke talking about something that comes up all the time, even though we really don't want to talk about it. It's the pivot. What happens when you figure out that you need a change? You need to change the, the direction, the career direction, uh, to accommodate for life direction. You don't hear many talk about it in raw, honest terms, but you will hear. This is Aaron B. Duke. I have a very unique and off-topic question for you. Talk to me about the pivot, the redirect, the career direction change because it's it's still something you love to do you just came to the realization that you wanted to do it differently how do you get to that point and where do you start in 2018 I thought I'd reached you know the career pinnacle I was published in architectural digest and I remember the day it came out but there was just this empty feeling and I have done private jets, I've done penthouses in Monte Carlo, I've done things for clients you can't talk about on private islands, and I've been published in magazines, I've been on TV shows, and I remember the first day of design school and my professor, Ron Reed, said, interior design has the ability to enhance the way people live, work, and play. And I realized, like, well, yeah, I'm enhancing the way people live, work, and play, but it was feeding my ego. And so I've kind of like taken a step back this year, done some ego deflation and found some humility and found a new way of working with people that makes me more accessible to 99% of people than just the 1% of people. And It's kind of been a whole process. A lot of, um, I started meditating this year and journaling and gratitude lists. And it's like, I love design and I love helping people and I wanna help more people, but how can I do that? And so I've created a whole new business model, a whole new fee structure. And, you know, I'm a self-admitted snob. You know, there were trade shows I'd never been to. There was vendors I didn't even know about. And now I've taken this time and explored all these new vendors and set up accounts with people so that, you know, I can help people who want that look, but maybe they don't necessarily have that, you know, million-dollar budget. That being said, that's a great segue into what do you as a designer you're so used to serving your clientele and sometimes it's lost that you're the clientele for someone else how do you want those guys to help you what can the what can the industry do to make your job easier you know one of the things that really is a pain point for me is there's lots of misinformation out there. I see lots of publications posting articles about what it costs to renovate a kitchen. And here in Los Angeles especially, the cost of construction is astronomical. You can't remodel an entire kitchen for $15,000. And so then you have clients who are expecting a full kitchen remodel for $15,000 and then they're disappointed when you sit down and talk about what it's really going to cost, even 
at a lower, more economical level. So I really feel like, you know, from publications, they need to be putting out information that's accurate, even if it's on a, you know, regional level, because, yeah, my client in Arizona, they can buy a $250,000 mansion, and here in Los Angeles, you're going to buy, you know, a one-bedroom, one-bathroom shack. What about trade shows? Uh, what trade shows are turning you on? What do you love? Which ones do you love? Okay. So before I had been to Vegas for the HD show in 2009, that was the last trade show I'd been to. Um, but I love Maison and Solone because the Europeans, they're just on the forefront of design. I mean, whether it's fashion, interiors, cars. Um, I had never been to High Point. I have never been to Vegas. And I'm actually planning trips to do High Point in Vegas next year because now I'm being turned on to these new vendors that I didn't even know existed. And now I know how you can like do a living room for $15,000, you know? So how often do you get to Europe? So for me, traveling to Europe is at least a one time a year thing. I just love the lifestyle and So you so you'll go to you'll go to Maison or, or Solana, you'll rotate. You'll rotate or you'll do them both every no, year? No, I rotate. You rotate. So I'll either go to Maison or Solone, but I make it like a vacation. So and I have friends there and I get to stay with them, so I get to experience, you know, the actual Italian or Parisian lifestyle. That's great. Back to the issue of trade shows and inspiration. This is Nicolette Akiko from Studio Akiko. I've had the pleasure of working with Nicolette, and I value her perspective on establishing a local base for the, for the firm and expanding outward. I think you will, too. What trade shows do you go to? Not necessarily, you know, where to find inspiration. Where do you go to find what's new? Where do you go to do your in-person research? Um, typically that's, um, at the showrooms and the vendors. I mean, it's really a lot of legwork. Um, you know, if you're not able to fly to North Carolina and, you know, go to High Point and, you know, sometimes it's just not the right weekend for you or, you know, you have so much other work to do. Um, it takes a lot of time. Um, so it's really, you know, for me, even kind of living in Pasadena and not living in LA, it's been very difficult I've noticed as more and more I need to get to these more unique trade sources um, that my clients don't have access to, you know, but, and you want to go to the PDC for that, but that takes a whole day for me. I mean, that's, I mean, it's an hour and a half drive out here. So, I mean, um, we're really working hard in the Pasadena interior design community to kind of establish, you know, getting reps from the showrooms to come out to, you know, someone else's showroom in Pasadena so it's an easier kind of like meetup for us and kind of actually having the showroom managers come to us has been very helpful um you know it's easier to say okay you know Tuesday night I'll just pop on the other side of town go see Thomas Lavin or, or whoever and um get to see what's new um otherwise I mean it's for me it's going <laughs> from store to store to store um, you know, I'd like to see things in person. I like to touch, I like to feel, and that's very important for me. Um, if I can't do that and I don't really feel comfortable telling my clients, Hey, like spend $10,000 on this bed. Um, so that's very important to me to kind of really do, you know, my own, you know, research on the product and, you know, what's new and, um, online can only really get you so far. Um, so I, I feel like that's a very limited um, route to go for it. And I, I don't, as easy as it is to, you know, pull up a website, I don't really trust it 100%. And um, so I'm always, you know, kind of just, when do I have the time to go out in person and see it is, is a big thing for me. What, what trade shows do you go to every year? Um, regularly, I go to Las Vegas Market. I go, um, I've been going to the AD Design Show, um, which I really like. It's a lot smaller. Um, they've, they've got a lot of more kind of like niche. They'll have very niche and then like the bigger brands as well. Um, and 
I've gone to K-Biz a few times. It kind of hops in between here and Florida, so I don't really go when it's in Florida. Um, and I would say those are like the three that I normally go to. Um, and I've been to multiple times and like for different reasons. Um, Las Vegas is a little bit too big for me. Um, and I think that's one of the general complaints you'll hear from everyone. But Five words or less. How can, how can the trade help you? What do you need? Easier accessibility. Uh, more connecting, I think, and connecting and networking. I would love a system of, you know, almost kind of how fashion does it. Um, sorry, this is more than five words. No, go ahead. <laughs> but like, you know, when they have their, you know, runway shows and, you know, this is fall, this is spring, like this is summer and really like pushing that, I think it would be a lot easier for us to kind of work around that um, and kind of have it presented in a collection more than just like we're randomly releasing products and hope you catch them. <laughs> That's a great tip. Lori Hayfala. She is clear on what she needs and wants from the industry. Uh, hey, design trade shows, manufacturers, and showrooms, do you want to know what design pros want from you? Here you go. You're welcome. The question is, what do, what do they want from me? What do you, what do you need? What trade shows do you go to? Which ones are you loving right now? Um, domestic first, then international. Okay, so uh, because I'm a kitchen specialist, I have a different trade show list than probably most people here. Um, my number one uh, domestic trade show that I need to go to is the Kitchen and Bath Industry Show um, in Vegas. Well, it's a couple different places, but that show um, I need to go to and I need to see the newest products, and that's all I need to see. The show's way too big. They need to scale it down quite a bit, actually, um, and probably not have it in conjunction with the IBS show. Um, I would say... That's what I really need from that show. Um, I go to um, Eurocucina in Italy every other year in Milan. And that show is the one show that gets me inspired. That's the show that I love because I can see what's coming down the pike. And it's, everything's, everything's beautifully designed there. So to me, that's the best show to go for inspiration. Um, and that's part of uh, Saloni? Yes, it's okay. part of Saloni. It's every, every other every year. Other year. Okay. The, uh, the opposite year is lighting design. Which I'd love to go to, but honestly, I don't really want to go to Italy every single year. <laughs> yeah. So I need a little more spontaneity. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's a good show. It's a great show. Um, again, I would say it's too big. You know, they probably need to separate it. Um, and there are some showrooms outside the show that are nice to go to. And they'll have little venues. They'll have events and, you know, cocktail parties and things. And that's fantastic. I love to do that. I'll spend a day doing that. And then a day at the show. But again, it's overwhelming. It's too much. They somehow need to scale it down. Um, I know when the industry um, in 2008, 9 and 10, you know, we had a recession. Um, the Kitchen of Bath show was so scaled down and it was so tangible and it was so much better. Um, and it just got overwhelming again. So we're... Where do you, and it's interesting too, because your kitchen, your, your kitchen specialty, where do you find inspiration? Um, you know, obviously travel, and I think probably every designer and architect is going to say travel. Um, but honestly, I, I collaborate a lot with interior designers and architects, and I get really inspired with that collaboration. I think it's really fun to bounce ideas off, or if they come up with an idea, trying to figure out how to execute their idea, that's really fun for me. Um, and just figuring out the, the architectural detailing. Um, but I also have a great clientele, and my, client, my clients are inspiring. You know, they're fun to work with, and um, that's pretty much why I'm still in this industry, I think. <laughs> Otherwise, I might be really bored. What do you want? Because <clears throat> digital is, is, is so important right now, and because it takes away so, so many of the pain points, it takes away traffic, it takes away you know, the amount of time that you have to go from point A to point B or just walking around, you get, to, you get to research things personally, but you cannot replace the showroom experience in many cases. What do you want from showrooms? How can, how can showrooms do better to make things easier for you to specify the products they sell? Well, in kitchen design, it's a little bit different because designers, um, kitchen design showrooms, have the designers that work in their showroom that design their product. Um, so it's not that common for a kitchen designer to go to a kitchen design showroom and specs 
inspect somebody else's product. I think a lot of interior designers do that. Um, but for me specifically, it's rare to do that. I mean the showrooms that sell the products uh-huh. that you're working into design. Um, Who are your favorite products right now, <laughs> by the way? Well, I have a lot of companies that I love. I mean, yeah. I, I love Boffy. I've always loved Boffy. That's been one of my favorite uh, cabinet lines yeah. since day one. But for sure, education is important. Do you want to get educated with your client in tow? Or is that something that you want to do with? I, I do not them? want my client in tow. You don't? <laughs> no, okay. I don't. No, I, I, would, I prefer to, you know, know it before I meet with the client or know it before the client knows it, yeah. which sometimes is hard. Sometimes they've researched something and I haven't been informed by my rep. So that happened to me with Sub-Zero once where the client said, oh, I saw this online. There's this new product and I didn't know anything about it. And I was like, what? Oh my gosh. I, and I felt like that was a failure on my part because I need to know those things before so my client does. That is so interesting. Failure on whose part? If, it's, if you're the designer, you're busy. If you don't know that it's out there, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I would love to have my reps come into my office, you know, every couple months and give me product information, tell me what's new, you know, make sure that I have all the proper sales tools um, and proper specifications. Because with cabinet design, the specifications are very important. They're um uh, the detailing that goes behind appliances and plumbing fixtures and cabinets is very um, important. And there are some companies that don't have very good specs, and there's some that have great specs. So I am less likely to specify a product that has bad specs because then my cabinets might, might not fit. I might have to alter something on the job site, and that's happened before, and those are the companies I don't work with. Wrapping this up is an outsider of sorts, uh, and I, I, I have her last for a very good reason. Alex Abramian is a freelance journalist who has covered the design and architecture industry for quite some time. Sometimes that meeting between editorial and design is a violent collision. You want a smooth transition? Listen to this from journalist Alex Abramian. Going from writing, editing, contributing to the PR side, what are you, what are you doing right now? And why, did you, why are you going in this direction? So I was an editor, a magazine editor, specifically for interior design, architecture, and real estate for 15 years. So I met a lot of people, LA and beyond LA, because I covered for some um, national publications as well. And I still do that. But at a certain point, I decided to go onto the other side and to do PR for interior designers, builders, real estate agents. So I have quite a bit of experience in both sides. And then I realized there's something happening between these two sides. Neither is getting their needs met. Interior designers hire a publicist and they're disappointed with the results. Publicists are trying to get more clients who say we can't afford a $5,000 a month retainer. There's just no way in our budget. And yet, because I'm still reporting, on articles, I know how desperate editors are for, I need a colorful house, or what's the latest trend in kitchens. They're desperate for content, and they don't know how to get it because magazines are now staffed so thinly, newspapers, everywhere is staffed so thinly that editors no longer get out. They are strapped to their desk trying to make deadline. Now they're doing print and digital the job has gotten much harder. So they are really starving for great story ideas. So my aha moment was, what if we could just take all the interior designers and train them how to pitch what they're doing or the trends they see or what they saw at a design show that's really exciting to them? How can they most easily learn how to pitch magazine editors, newspaper reporters, bloggers, podcasters, how can they pitch them in the most efficient way that doesn't take tons of time to get high-level media placements without ever hiring a publicist that, that will break most budgets? Seems smart. I think so. It's effective. But it's not for everyone. And I, no. think, and I think that's the key. It isn't for everyone. For companies that are have the budget for a publicist and it's really working and they do not want to devote any time or brain space to thinking about it, have someone else do it. 
Um, but for a lot of people, it's particularly in the luxury space who are starting out where media is a really important cornerstone of their marketing effort and they are still maybe a year, years away from hiring a publicist. This fills that gap in a way that I think is new. I don't think other people out there are offering this way to connect the two sides. It's the training someone to fish. It's that concept. Mm -hmm. So you can do your own PR. And I would also argue, like right now we're in a place where I think there's, for some editors, they want to hear from the end user. Just tell me what you're doing. I don't need a press release. I just want to know what you're doing. That's great advice. Good. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So that's a wrap on this episode of Convo by Design featuring the Design Influencer and Innovator Group, a collection of Southern California's best and brightest in design and architecture. Thank you, Rosita, Gary, Lori, Julia, Josh, Aaron, Takashi, Nicolette, and Alex. Thank you, Cynthia, and the Ornare Showroom staff for making us feel so at home in your amazing space. Thank you, Snyder Diamond, Von Dom, uh, Sub-Zero, Wolf, and Cove for your generous support. And most of all, thank you. Thank you for listening, downloading each episode, rating the podcast on iTunes, and engaging in social media. You are the absolute best. I truly appreciate you. Um, and this podcast would be nothing were it not for you. So thank you. Uh, and that's a wrap on this episode of Convo by Design. Until next week, keep creating. Convo by Design is proud to be working with Vendome Furniture. Their design culture is the key to their success. It's what pushes them to consistently create new collections that give spaces a new dimension. They create dialogue between environment and form. Vendome pieces can transform the simplest space into one filled with glamour that is both unique and extraordinary. And isn't that what design is all about? creating atmospheres where you can take hold of life and enjoy it to the fullest. Vendome products are simple and elegant, contemporary and exceptionally comfortable. Their crafted modern durable molded resin, glass, and metal designs are unique. They beg to be enjoyed. Have you seen them featured in our videos? Check out our YouTube channel and see this for yourself. You can also find them in their showrooms at the D&D Building in New York, Wynwood in Miami, and the Pacific Design Center here in Los Angeles, or online at vendome.com. <laughs>